Well, good evening. Welcome to Element Church. My name is Adam Young. I'm the lead pastor here, and we are all so excited that you are here with us uh, this evening. And want to welcome you to week two of our new series called Building Blocks, Building Habits That Shape Lives. Now, as we get started tonight, uh, I, I want to ask you a question. I want you to just to stop for a moment or two and, and think with me uh, about a time in your life where you worked really, really hard uh, to, to earn something or, or to get something you wanted. Some, some time in your life when you made a really big sacrifice uh, for something you wanted. Uh, as I was preparing this week, um, thinking about our topic for today, and, and uh, just kind of thinking back um, over my life, and I realized uh, I, I'm not real old. I mean, I do have some white hairs that are popping up in my beard now, but uh, I'm not real old, but just even thinking back over my life and, and times that I've um, really made sacrifices for something great or, or worked really hard for something I really wanted. Uh, and, and one particular story um, came to mind this week, um, partly because of an experience I had a few months ago. Um, I, my dad recently sold uh, his house and bought a new one and was in the process of moving. And so over the last year, every time that we go back to see family in Oklahoma, um, I'm always taking boxes back with us to Colorado um, as you know, m- my parents have been cleaning out um, attics and storage spaces and you know now all the kids were old enough that we should be able to store our own junk and so um, just getting all these boxes from childhood and high school full of old memories and memorabilia and um, I was digging through one of those boxes and I found something um, that I had completely forgotten about. Um, Growing up my dad owns uh, his own company. It's a stone company. They do um, tile and marble and granite and um, while we had great summers as kids um, and got to do all the normal kids stuff, part of growing up in my household was um, the opportunity to go work for dad. And so I'll never forget that uh, the summer going into my fourth grade year, no, going into my fifth grade year, um, I'll never forget um, uh, that summer and and how hard I worked. And I remember it for a couple reasons. One is I had worked a couple summers for my dad, um, earned a few raises. And so this particular summer, I was up to making a dollar an hour, which was big time money. And um, so I was making a dollar an hour. And this was also the first summer that my dad let me use the tile saw. Before that, like my biggest, most important task was pulling weeds and mowing grass and stuff. But this was the summer that I was going to get to use the tile saw, and I was really excited. And so I started imagining and daydreaming about all this money I was going to make, because now I had actually a really good reason to go work for my dad, because I got to do something really cool. So I started dreaming up you know, all this, this money I was going to make, and, and uh, what I was going to do with it. And one particular day, uh, I was with my mom hanging out, and we were shopping, and we were uh, at Sears. And I remember walking through the aisle, and, and there it was. It had its own display case right in the middle, in, in the middle of an aisle. Uh, I'll never forget when I saw it. My eyes lit up, and I knew that's what I'm going to use my money on. That's what I'm working for this summer. Uh, and it was this leather uh, Babe Ruth watch. 
and uh, had Babe Ruth's picture on it, this old antique-looking leather strap. Um, But what was really cool about it is it came in its own special carrying case. It was actually a baseball bat that opened up, and so the watch would fit in the baseball bat, and then you can close it up. And I, I mean, of course, you know, I grew up playing baseball. That was my sport, and I, when I saw it, I knew that's what I have to have. That's what I'm going to work so hard for this summer. And, and I did. I mean, I worked hard that summer, um, earned some good money, and towards the end of the summer, I had saved up enough money. The watch cost almost $75, and um, I, I had earned this money, and so right before school started, uh, my mom took me back to Sears, and I got to buy the watch. And I'm telling you, for every day, for two years, I wore that watch. And I also brought my little bat case, my baseball bat case with me to school every day. And so right before lunchtime, I would take carefully take my watch off, put it inside the baseball case, the, the bat case, close it up, put it in my desk because I did not want it to get scratched at recess. And I had totally forgotten about this baseball bat case and the watch um, until a few months ago going through some boxes of old stuff um, that, that uh, my dad had been pulling out of the attic. And uh, turns out, man, I had saved it. I still have the baseball bat and the watch, which was really, really cool. So uh, we, we are in week two of our new series called Building Blocks. And last week, we talked about truth. And, um, and, and this week, our topic for today is sacrifice. Um, before we jump any further, um, let me tell you why we're doing this series Um, I think we can all identify in our lives that there are times when we look around and we go, man, I know there's got to be something more. I I just know it. I know there's got to be something more to this life. We we look around and and, and we go, I hear stories about the the, the experiences that other people have. I hear about them talk about their relationship with God and how they hear God talking to them and and, and how refreshing their relationship with God is. And I know it's possible, but I don't feel it. I know there's got to be something more. I read stories. I, I read the Bible. And I see these incredible things that people do. Uh, and I go, why don't I see that in my life? I know there's got to be something more. And so we've been, we started this Building Blocks series Um, focused on building uh, a foundation in our life to propel us forward to experience the life that God has for us over and over and over in Scripture. God tells us that He has incredible things planned for us, an amazing life, uh, a life that is fulfilling and satisfying and powerful, a life that shines so brightly that everyone around us, whether we live next door to them, share a household with them, or maybe we work with them, but everybody around us will be able to look at our lives and go, I see something different and that's what I want. And the Bible says that kind of life is available to us. So how do we get from where we are to where we know God wants us to be? How do we get from where we are to where we want to be with God? And and the truth is there are some things, some habits that we need to build into our lives and set a solid foundation for us to be able to move forward and experience all that God has for us. And so over the next five weeks during this Building block series, we're talking about five characteristics or character traits or habits um, that we can build into our lives to, to set a good foundation and to propel us forward. Last week we talked about truth. 
um, and how for you and I, as believers in Christ, truth has to be a mark of our lives and that we have to set the Bible as a foundation for our life if we want to really understand who God is and to experience Him and to find ourselves in that place uh, in life that God promises we can be one day. And today we're going to talk about sacrifice. Before we go any further, I want us to define sacrifice together. And um, I'm going to shamelessly um, steal this definition from a pastor, uh, an old pastor of mine that I uh, worked for many years ago. And um, he came up with this definition, and I love it so much, it's always stuck with me. And so it's way better than something I could come up with. And so we're going we're gonna to use that as our working definition for sacrifice today. And so um, when we say sacrifice, here's what we mean. Giving up something you love for something you love even more. Giving up something you love for something you love even more. Uh, Last week, we opened uh, our Building Blocks series with the most famous sermon that's ever been preached in human history. Uh, One of Jesus' most popular sermons, something called the Sermon on the Mount. And it was kind of one of his first big ones. Um, And really, since he preached it 2,000 years ago, it it has really been the hallmark sermon of all time. And so we really built our series, Building Blocks, off of a teaching that came from that sermon. And I want us to look at one other thing that Jesus said during that sermon in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 6. And this is going to be up on the screen for you. Uh, If you want to follow along with us today, uh, maybe you brought your Bible, maybe you want to pull out your phone or your tablet and open up the Bible app, or um, we've provided some Bibles that are underneath your seat or the seat in front of you. Uh, And if you use one of our Bibles, the page numbers are going to be on the screen to help you find your way a little bit easier. And here's what Jesus said at the beginning of the most famous sermon in the history of the world. And he says this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Could that be said of you? Could somebody look at your life and say, that's a characteristic of him or of her? That their life just screams that they're hungry and craving for righteousness. Or we could maybe say it like this, craving and hunger uh, for more of God. Blessed are those who, who hunger and thirst to know Him more. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst to experience Him more. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst to be more like Him. Could that be said of you? We're going to talk about sacrifice today. Giving up something we love for something we love even more. And that even more is righteousness. Knowing, understanding, and being more like Christ. Um, and, and I'm going to go ahead and call out the elephant in the room um, about what we're really going to talk about today because maybe you noticed it in your worship guide um, as you, that you received when you walked in today. Um, what we're really going to talk about today when we talk about sacrifice is fasting. Um, this is a topic that I've actually, in 12 years of preaching, never taught on before. Um, this is one of those... Um, sermons 
that um, I hope you enjoy. I hope it speaks to you. I hope it confronts you where you are. Um, But if nothing else, I want to say this. Enjoy um, your time here today, and you can just sit back and relax and watch me preach to myself. Um, Because as I was preparing and studying and praying through the message this week, um, man, it hit me like a ton of bricks. Um, Because this is something in my life that I have not been very good at doing. And uh, something that is not only needed in the church and in all of our individual lives, but is needed in my life as well. Um, And so maybe some parts of our time together today will sting a little bit, but know that you're in good company because um, it's been stinging me all week as I've been um, praying through and thinking through and preparing for this. So let's define fasting. What do we mean when we say fasting? Um, Here's how we're going to define it today. Abstaining from food for a measured period of time in order to heighten my hunger for the things of God. Uh, notice a couple of things. First of all, um, that food right there in the definition is in all caps and it's underlined. And that's because, um, as we're going to find out today, you can fast from many things besides just food. And we'll talk a little bit more about that as our time goes on today. Um, but also notice why we do it. In order to heighten our hunger for the things of God. Um, that's what we want. That's what you and I want. Um, we, we want more of God, but sometimes the problem is we don't really hunger for it. And, and we want to do things in our lives that will heighten our hunger for the things of God so that we could uh, be called, blessed are those people, we could be those people who hunger and thirst for righteousness or hunger and thirst for the things of God because that's what you and I want in our lives. So I've got a couple truths for us to examine today. And uh, if you're the note-taking kind of person, there's a place on the back of your worship guide to take notes. And we're going to have five truths today that I want us to look at. And here's number one as we dive in this morning. Number one, we have little hunger for God. Now that seems a little harsh, maybe even judgmental, like, hey, who are you to say that about me? You don't know me. Like, how do you know? Uh, Let's just be honest. Because if we really want to experience God today and allow Him to speak into our lives, let's just stop with the self-defense and be honest. We corporately, and, and maybe we could just say you and I, We have little hunger for God. Now, notice what it didn't say. It didn't say we have little hunger. It said we have little hunger for God. Uh, There's no doubt that you and I, and in our culture, we have a lot of hunger. As I was preparing this week, uh, I I was just kind of curious. I was looking up some facts and doing some research, and I came across some things that um, were kind of mind-blowing to me. Um, Look at this. in 1990, um, two pieces of pepperoni pizza averaged 550 calories. Uh, now look at this. Today, those same two slices of pepperoni pizza average 850 calories. Now, let's be honest. We're not really talking about those two same slices of pepperoni pizza. Uh, what's, what's different? Has cheese gotten worse? Has pepperoni gotten worse? Or maybe our portion sizes 
have gotten worse. Uh, look at this one. This is crazy. In 1990, uh, the average large bucket of popcorn at the movies contained 270 calories. You want to talk about portion sizes changing. Today, the average large popcorn at a movie theater uh, is six, uh, 630 calories. Uh, here's one more. In 1990, the average fast food hamburger had 333 calories. Today, the average fast food hamburger, uh, it averages 590 calories. You and I, we do not have little hunger. It's just that we have little hunger for God. Just before Jesus preached his most famous sermon that we just read from a moment ago, uh, he went through a period of preparation. And the Bible talks a little bit about this preparation in Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 2. And it says this, After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. (laughs) That's an understatement. All right, let's move on. Uh, Verse 3, And the tempter, or Satan, came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he, this is talking about Jesus, Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus, in preparation for his ministry that's going to change human history, it's going to change the face of the world, it's going to change how you and I understand what it means to be reconnected and reconciled to God, our Creator, goes into a a period of preparation and fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. And then Satan comes, and his first temptation is trying to get Jesus to turn some stones into bread. Now let's think about that for a second. Um, Is that something that Jesus couldn't have done? Well, no, of course he could. I mean, after all the miracles we read about in the Bible that Jesus performed, turning some, some rocks into bread... That would be easy. I mean, my goodness, he took a couple pieces of bread and multiplied it so that a crowd of more than 5,000 people could eat as much as they want. Jesus took water and turned it into a perfectly aged wine. Stones to bread, that's easy. It wasn't that he couldn't do it. So what was Satan trying to do? I mean, was it wrong for Jesus to eat bread? Um, Well, what we know is that Jesus was going to fast for 40 days and 40 nights, and now it's the end of that period. So Jesus has met his goal. If he wants to eat now, eat. I mean, what, what is, is there something wrong with bread? Well, okay, listen, I get some of you are gluten free, all right, but let me just say this there's nothing wrong with bread, okay? Um, I don't. Well, we're going to leave it there because I'll get on a soapbox. All right. No, there wasn't anything wrong with bread. What was Satan trying to do? He was trying to turn Jesus' attention um, from this intimate time he was spending with God, his Father, and turn that attention onto himself. Satan was coming in and trying to pull Jesus away from where his attention was and trying to pull it off of God and put it onto himself so that Jesus would start thinking of what he wants, what he needs, what's best for him. One of the problems that you and I struggle with in not experiencing all that God has for us is that we have little hunger for God. 
And so many times we allow our hunger for other things to take priority and to pull us away and to pull our attention away from where it should be. Number one, we have little hunger for God. Here's number two. We only have so much hunger. And here's what I mean. You and I only have so much room in our life. You and I only have so much capacity for so many things. Um, So I've got this little pie chart up here. And uh, yes, um, that was my best attempt at making it look like a pumpkin pie. That was the closest color I could fit. And that's because I love pie. And I mean, more like I'm not a cake guy. Like for my birthday, I would much rather have a pie than a cake. And I love this time of year because... Um, the two greatest pies are going to get made a whole bunch, pumpkin pie and pecan pie, and they are so awesome. And I made this one a pumpkin pie because I'm not a graphic artist, and it would have been too hard to make it a pecan pie. So um, look at this. This pie um, represents our daily life um, and some of the things that just make up our life. Like, you know, we wake up right here at the top. Um, we got to take a shower, get ready for the day. Maybe that piece of pie should be bigger for some of you. Maybe you spend a whole lot of time getting ready. Um, then we eat breakfast. Um, then we got to go to work because we, we are, that's just part of life. We got to go to work, make some money, um, contribute. Uh, then we're going to take a little lunch break somewhere in there. We're going to eat some lunch. Uh, I got phone on here. Um, I don't know about you. I hate the phone. I mean, I just, oh man, I hate the phone. Like, I wish we could go back to the days before cell phones. Like, I get there, there's a lot of great things about them, but I just hate the fact that I can be reached at any time. I would much prefer a system where you can call the office or my home, and you can leave a message, and you understand that I can't get back to you in 30 seconds. Um, so there's my soapbox. But, you know, we all got to spend time on the phone. Maybe it's for work. Maybe it's connecting with family. Whatever it is, but... W- Get your mind off the phone. Really, we could have put in that spot communication. A huge part of our day is devoted to communication. Uh, Then we get home. We spend some time with family. We're going to eat dinner. Um, And then I've got up here Facebook. And maybe you're not a Facebook junkie. Um, I don't care for Facebook too much. But whatever it is, maybe it's social media. Maybe it's just Googling random stuff. Um, to see what the answer is, but um, playing around on the internet or video games, but some kind of social media or electronics um, that we love to spend our time on. Um, we're going to watch some TV before we go to bed because, you know, we got to wind down. And then, um, of course, we go to bed. And so you look and, and you and I fill up our daily routines and our daily lives pretty fast. And here's what fasting does. Here's a visual picture. Fasting does two things. One, it breaks the cycle of our routine. And it allows open space and room for us to to, uh, press into the things of God. It it breaks the cycle and the routine of our life so we can free up time and, and do the things that we know we should be doing that so many times we have a hard time squeezing into our schedule. And when we fast... When we abstain from food for a measured period of time, like our definition said, um, it frees up space for us uh, that would normally be devoted to something else. Um, But here's what else fasting does. When you not only take out those three meals and open up some time in your day, what you're also going to find is you get really, really, really hungry. 
Now, you and I can skip a meal, and I guess we're all different. I usually don't eat breakfast, and a lot of times I don't eat lunch. And it's just because I'm working, and I forget, and I don't realize it. And it's not until about like 3.30 that I start really getting hungry. Um, and then I'm like, well, now I just need to wait till dinner. Um, and so we all operate a little differently. But a lot of times when we're busy, it's easy to skip a meal or, or go eat late or or whatever, but when you're intentional about fasting, what you will realize is you become keenly aware of your hunger, like never before. Um, maybe you never eat breakfast, but let's say you fast tomorrow. You're going to wake up, and the first thing on your mind is, I'm not supposed to eat. And what you'll realize is instantly you find yourself hungry, even though you normally don't eat breakfast. And what happens is your hunger becomes an internal alarm clock. So all day long as your stomach is grumbling and you're getting hungry, you realize, and it's like an alarm, it reminds you why I'm doing this, to seek out the things of God. And so you and I, we have little, uh, little hunger for God. And then number two, we only have so much hunger in our life. We only have so much room and space in our life. And fasting is a way to open up space. Here's number three. Our enslavement to food hinders our hunger for God. Our enslavement for food hinders our hunger for God. Check out this story in John chapter 4. Let me begin reading in verse 3. This is talking about Jesus. And he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. And a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Then I love this. Look what John puts in parentheses. I mean, this is a detail that he easily could have left out of the story, but John understood the importance of this detail, and we'll see why here in a minute. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So Jesus is on this journey. And, and I know some of these places and locations are a little foreign to you and I, but um, basically what happened is Jesus and his disciples just traveled about 30 miles. No cars, no trains, no airplanes, no fast track. Walking. Jesus and his disciples walked about 30 miles. And so when it says here that Jesus was wearied from his journey, it's because he was wearied from his journey. It was a long journey. And so Jesus comes to this well and sits down. Um, But for his disciples, their, their stomachs were grumbling. They were hungry. They were tired too, but they weren't ready to rest. There was a town just right there. Why stop at the well? Um... Why don't we just go a little further and get some food? And so Jesus sits down, but his disciples are like, nope, we're hungry. We're moving on. We'll catch up with you later, Jesus. And so what happens next is this incredible, awesome conversation between Jesus and this woman. And and this woman's life is completely transformed and changed. Now, we've taught on this story before at the woman at the well Um, And we'll teach on it again. We're not going to go into the conversation that um, Jesus and this woman had. We'll we'll cover it again another time. Uh, But I want to skip down to verse 31 
Um, kind of after this conversation between Jesus and this woman has taken place, but after this, this woman has experienced God in a whole new way that she had never experienced before in her life, her, her whole life has been completely transformed. And then it says this, verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him. They had just come back saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. You do, not say, or do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. For you and I, our enslavement to food often hinders our hunger for God. The disciples just missed out on a life-changing moment. After this long journey, they're all tired. They're all hungry, Jesus included. And Jesus stops at the well to visit with this woman. But the disciples are too focused on their own hunger that they don't even see the opportunity that's sitting before them. They can't even recognize that maybe Jesus knows what he's doing. Maybe Jesus isn't being lazy and going, ah, I'll let you guys get the food, I'll take a break. Jesus intentionally goes over to this well where this woman is, and the disciples can't even see that, that Jesus is doing something intentional. And so their hunger, their enslavement to food, caused them to miss out on a huge moment, a life-changing moment. Um, one that was so big and so important, it, got, it made it into the Bible. Um, and what we find out is that after this conversation with this woman, then the disciples come back, and then they all head into town where this woman is from. And this woman begins to share her story. And all throughout the town, people are coming to know God and coming to experience Him in a whole new way. And Dozens, maybe hundreds of people and their lives are being transformed because Jesus saw the opportunity and said, you know what? My hunger is not what's most important here. My desire for food is not going to be the overarching ruling desire in my life. My hunger for the things of God are going to take precedence and the disciples missed it. For you and I, our enslavement to food often hinders our hunger for God. Or this would be a great place to substitute that word food. You know, like in our definition for fasting, we, we had food kind of highlighted there because there are other things you could substitute there. Maybe we could say your enslavement to television or your enslavement to entertainment or your enslavement to gambling or your enslavement to your reputation, or your enslavement to making money hinders your hunger for God. How many things are there besides just physical hunger that pull us away from, from life-changing moments? God opportunities sitting right before us that we miss because we're so focused on some other desire. Remember what Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. What you and I want to do here today, 
talking about sacrifice, giving up something you love for something you love even more. We want to focus on giving up something we love for something we love even more, the things of God. And that's going to require sacrifice on our part. Number three was uh, our enslavement to food often hinders our hunger for God. Here's number four. Fasting can ignite our hunger for God. Notice what it said. Fasting can, not will, but can ignite our hunger for God. Um, Zechariah chapter 7, verses 4 and 5. This is in the Old Testament. If you don't want to turn there, um, just look up here on the screen. Um, Here's what it says. Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, and it said, Say to all the people of the land and the priests, When you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and in the seventh month for these 70 years, was it for me that you fasted? You see, the Israelites had just gone through a very traumatic experience. And they were all getting to a place where they were going, hey, is God still for us? Is He still our God? Is He still going to take care of us? Is, is, he, going to, is he still going to keep His promises to us? Um, you know, we've been enduring terrible things. Granted, it was their own fault. It was um, uh, a response to, to their own disobedience. But they were going, man, is God still listening? Is He still there? And so as a way to cry out to God and to get reconnected with Him, um, they fasted. They gave up something they love for something they love even more. They gave up food so that they could be more keenly aware of God and be more available for Him to speak and to move in their lives. But notice what happened. God came and His response was, was it really for me that you fasted? Because see, God could see something in their hearts. Maybe it wasn't obvious on the outside, but God realized they weren't fasting because they wanted to hear from God. They were fasting so they could obligate God to do what they wanted Him to do. They were trying to strong-arm God. They were acting as though, hey, if I do this, then God has to do this. If I do A, God's got to do B. If I do Y, God's got to do Z. That's how this thing works. So they thought if they fasted, they could manipulate God into doing what they wanted Him to do. And God showed up and said, hey, be real careful. You were doing a good thing. But then when I looked at your heart, hmm, was it really for me that you were fasting? Fasting can ignite our hunger for God so long as we do it for the right motives. Here's what the psalmist says in in chapter 69, verse 10 of the Psalms. When I wept and humbled my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. One of the things that fasting will do for you is will reveal what's really inside of you. And that's not just an empty stomach. When we fast, it reveals what's inside of us. It reveals what we really desire and long for. It reveals what we care about most and the psalmist said when i wept and fasted that whole experience became my reproach because then it showed me what was really inside of me i thought i knew why i was doing it i thought i had the right motives i thought i had the right heart but when i went to go do it 
There were things inside of me I didn't see coming. And fasting will expose areas of our lives and our hearts that are not in tune with righteousness, that are not in tune with the things of God. And, and that opens up the door for us to see it, identify it, and then ask God to give us the help to move forward. And here's our last one. Number five, fasting breaks our enslavement to food. Fasting breaks our enslavement to food. I have a couple of quotes of some men that I really respect. Um, that their ministries and lives and their writing have meant a lot to me. And, and I've got a couple of quotes about fasting that I want to read to you. And I'm just going to read them right off from right off my paper here, make sure I quote them accurately. Uh, this first one comes from John Piper. He says this, The absence of fasting is the measure of our contentment of the absence of Christ. Ooh. Let me read that again. The absence of fasting is the measure of our contentment of the absence of Christ. When we fast, that enslavement is broken, and we are freed up to focus our hunger upon what we really want. Fasting reveals the things that control us. It humbles us and shows us our true selves. Here's another one from a man named Richard Foster who wrote a book called The Celebration of Discipline. And if, um, if, if the things that we're talking about during this Building Blocks series resonate with you, um, the Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster is an excellent book to get. Um, let's be honest. These things right here that we're talking about over the five weeks, truth, sacrifice, we've got some more coming up, generosity, community, intimacy. You know, you know what these really are? Spiritual disciplines. We just didn't want to call this series Spiritual Disciplines because then we thought no one would actually show up. So we created a, a, a less threatening title for it, Building Blocks. But that's really what we're talking about is spiritual disciplines. Disciplines to put into our lives to help us move forward and experience all that God wants us to experience. Here's what Richard Foster says about fasting. Our human desires are like rivers that tend to overflow the banks. Fasting brings the river back into control and forces it to flow within its proper channels. Maybe for you it's food. Or maybe it's something else. Um, you don't have to be obese for food to be, to be enslaved to food. For it to be something that controls you and and pulls you away from God and hinders your hunger for God? Let me ask you this. Who's more enslaved to food? The person who can't stop eating or the person who has to weigh their lettuce before they eat it and, and goes to bed and they can't sleep at night if their calorie count went too high or, or they go to bed satisfied feeling great about themselves because they kept it under a certain level. Who's more enslaved to food? You know what the right answer is? Both. They're both enslaved to it. Or maybe for you, it's money. 
It's making money, it's keeping money, it's saving money, it's investing money, it's growing money, or it's spending money. Maybe it's money that hinders your hunger for God because your hunger for money drowns out everything else. Maybe for you it's Facebook. That seems silly, but it's not. Maybe for you, but without even realizing it, every free moment that you get, you're pulling out your phone and checking Facebook, checking your your feed, or or the Twitter feed, or your Instagram feed, or your email, or or checking. I, I didn't I didn't hear it ding. I didn't feel it vibrate. Maybe somebody texted me though. I got to check. Maybe it's your enslavement to entertainment or social media or television. Fasting from those things breaks our enslavement to them. Go a week without looking or using Facebook. And then you'll find out just how important it really is to you. And you'll find out just how enslaved you are to it. You'll find out just how much it pulls you away from the things of God. Don't watch TV for the next week. Watch how much time you didn't even realize was being sucked into watching TV and you were completely missing out on so many of the things of God. Our enslavement to food or whatever else it may be pulls us away, but fasting breaks that enslavement. Let me share a story with you as we close. Um, Thomas Costain wrote um, a history book called The Three Edwards. Um, is, is anybody in here a fan of uh, the movie Braveheart? Yeah, a couple, show of hands. Oh, you liars. <laughs> Listen, I get it's church. I get that that was a rated R movie. You're, come on. I, I own it. I loved it. All right, so a few more hands are going up. All right, so um, we've seen Braveheart, and if you remember, there are a couple bad kings in the movie. Uh, I think it was Richard the Longshanks and then his son, Richard II. So uh, this, this book covers um, the Edwards ruling. So um, uh, that would be... Uh, right there, so the Longshanks, his son, and then grandson. Those are the three Edwards um, who ruled in an area that we would now consider Belgium. And so Thomas Costain wrote a history book kind of detailing the life around these three rulers. It's called The Three Edwards. And um, uh, here's, here's a, a story that just just fascinates me. I think it speaks right to what we're talking about today. Um, and it concerns the third level of the, the Edwards, the, um, the Longshanks, his grandson. Um, Costain shares a story about Reynold III, um, which was the brother um, to Edward III. Um, so it was Edward III and Reynold III. And uh, after Edward II died, um, Reynold took over rule. He took the throne. Um, But as good brothers do, um, the brothers were fighting, and they were fighting over the throne. And eventually, um, Edward, his brother, overtook um, 
and captured the throne and captured his brother. Uh, normally what you would do when you were going to overthrow a ruler and capture them is you would cut off their head, you'd kill them, right? You don't want to leave the old king around. That's just going to brew trouble. But being his brother, Edward didn't really want to kill him. So Edward came up with a creative plan. Um, Reynold III was rarely ever called Reynold. Uh, he was actually called Cassius, which is Latin, and it was his nickname, and it meant fat. That's what people called him. That's, that's what people, how people referred to him was Cassius, which um, was his nickname for being fat, because he was um, grossly overweight, incredibly large. And so what Edward did when he took over the throne and took over his brother's rule is he put his brother into a room. He actually put his brother into a big space like this and then built a room around him. And in that room, he put a regular-sized door and he put windows. And he told his brother, you come out of this room and I'll give you your throne back. You make it out and I'll hand over the throne back to you. No questions asked, uh, which would have been fine and wouldn't have been a big deal for most people, except for that Reynold was so big, he could not fit through a normal doorway and he could not fit through a window. Uh, and so Edward left the door unlocked. And even when people criticized him um, and accused him of enslaving his own brother, he'd go, whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 no. My brother is free to leave whenever he wants. Whenever he'd like, he can walk out that door and I'll hand him the throne back. So, not too big of a deal. He's a little overweight, but that can be remedied. All Reynold had to do was fast his way to freedom and back onto the throne. But his brother understood just how much he was enslaved to food. And so every day, Edward would send in carts and trays and tables full of delicious gourmet food. And rather than fasting his way to freedom, Reynold actually gained weight and got bigger. Eventually, um, Edward was uh, mortally wounded in battle and died. And so they had to break open the wall to let Reynold out. It was now his throne again because his brother had died. But he had become so big and so unhealthy during his time in that room that he died within a year. Right there. Right there on the other side of the door was freedom. Right there was all he wanted and a life he knew he wanted. But his enslavement to food kept him from passing through that doorway and into freedom. Is that not an incredible picture of our lives? God over and over in the Bible says, I have this incredible life for you. You don't have to look around anymore and go, I know there's got to be more to life. There is more and I'm offering it to you. All you got to do is pass through that door and experience freedom like you've never known. Experience life like you've always wanted to live the life you hear stories about other people living. Freedom is right through that door. But we say, nah, that's okay. I'll just stay enslaved right here. Knowing what's beyond that door, and we choose to remain enslaved rather than experiencing all that God has for us. If we want to move forward, if we want to experience the life God has for us, 
one of the marks of our life has to be sacrifice. That we will give up something we love for something we love even more. Will you pray with me?